This is a most famous and true episode of Hops and Box Office Flops. Famous because we have never done a pod like this before. My name is Captain Cash. I was there. Remember this. Even the most impossible parts of this pod really happened. Except I have been drinking. And changed some of the parts to make for a better story. Whatever. Tonight it's 1996's The Ghost in the Darkness. Hops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by RevengeOfTheFans.com. I, Captain Cash, have the privilege of hosting the pod tonight as we talk about The Ghost in the Darkness, a movie that happened. I remember really liking this movie, and as with Thunderous Wizard and last week's Pluto Nash, turns out I had some seriously questionable tastes as a child. Before we get into all that, let me introduce my co-hosts. First up, the bridge engineer himself, the Thunderous Wizard. I would uh, do my worst Irish accent to channel Val Kilmer, uh, but all I will say is your tastes were not nearly as bad as mine. This movie is subpar. It's not Pluto Nash subpar. That is fair. And also, if you attempted no Irish accent, you'd be about the level of Irish accent that Val Kilmer displays. So well done. And hailing from the darkest heart of Africa, accompanied by a squad of Maasai warriors, Chumpzilla. Howdy, listeners. How's everybody doing? And for once, I think it would have been appropriate to be hailed from parts unknown, but I'll take the darkest heart of Africa, I guess. And this all the semi-racist really... connotations that come with that. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I thought he was hailing from the malaria murder tent. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this, yeah. this movie... Who's the camp doctor here? Joseph Mangle? I mean, what's going on? Uh, the camp doctor was Theoden King, but we're going to get into that. Yeah, Before we yeah. get there... You, you have no power here, Val Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> you can find the pod at Twitter, Facebook, and now proudly Instagram. If you want to see the dumb faces behind the drunk voices at Hops and B.O. Flops, you can also find the Thunderous Wizard on Twitter and Facebook at WriterTLK. And I, as always, am... C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social media. You can find Chumpzilla in his lair filled with the bones of 130-odd humans he has murdered. And uh, and on Vine. Oh, and Vine. Yeah. I kind doing of it for the Vine. For Africa and Vine. Yeah, no, that works. Do, doing it for the gram, doing it for the Vine. Got to do it. Uh, for the beer, I'm actually very proud because I think tonight we have our most on-theme beer selection ever. Uh, for the Ghost in the Darkness pod, we are drinking Stone Brewing's Fear Movie Lions, or FML, if you're nasty. Uh, this hazy double IPA comes in roaring strong at 8.5%. Uh, out of respect to the film, we'll each be starting with two of these bad boys. So, one. Ooh, man, that's that's an aroma. That's pungent. And two. Woo. Cheers, gentlemen. Which one is the ghost and which one is the darkness? You know what? I'll label them. It's a good idea. I, I'd also point out that was uh, the Thunderous Wizard's nickname for his fists in college. It's true. It's true. I thought it was his testes. They were all, 
<laughs> that was a lot that less was, menacing that was Dr. than Kenneth Noyes water. Oh, we're doing Anchorman and, now? And, and, and Mantis Tobias, yeah. No. <laughs> so, yeah, so he had the ghost in the darkness, and I had the associates, Mr. Ratty and Mr. Lefty. They took care <laughs> of my light work. So for those of you not familiar with the ghost and the darkness, not to be confused with the ghost in the darkness, the ghosts of darkness, or the ghost and Mr. Chicken, uh, this film is a 1996 Val Kilmer vehicle directed by Stephen Hopkins. Uh, other notable Stephen Hopkins films include Predator 2, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Y you guys can see where this is going. This is far superior to both of those movies. Uh, it might be his best film. Uh-oh. Uh, I did look up his filmography, and I do believe it is the best reviewed of his movies, yes. Whoa, whoa. You're saying this is better than Predator 2? Predator 2 sucks, yes. Uh, uh, Predator 2 has Gary Busey in it. That's true. Well, Points, Predator 2. The Ghost in the Darkness has Michael Douglas pretending to be Gary Busey, so I think he it's... He is doing his best Busey. I think it's a toss-up. Um, actually, I don't that's know. not my I prefer... favorite. Uh, uh, is this Douglas's first appearance on the pod? Uh, yeah, I think it is. I think it's Michael's first appearance. Val Kilmer's second appearance because yeah, we've got another repeat uh, offender here that I'm a big fan of, but uh, I don't want to spoil it. But you're leaving out. You're burying the lead here. Uh, Hopkins also directed Judgment Night. Yes. Come on. Uh huh. Uh, that's, that's terrible. A, that's but a, yep. Thunderous Wizard favorite, Judgment Night, which I've talked about on this pod. Yeah. Before. I mean, if you're if you're a fan of Pearl Jam and Onyx, you know that movie. Uh, yeah. Blown Away and Lost in Space. Okay, so Blown Away might be his best movie, but that's also not particularly great. But I actually like it's the Ghost in the cheesy. Darkness. So I'm not. Yeah, I, I'm Predator Two all the way. I feel like Predator 2 is good. This is his second best. And Lost in Space is not a great movie. But I, I still have that I'm a sucker for sci-fi. Yeah, and I was surprised to see it didn't bomb. It actually made more money than it cost to make. <laughs> Which this movie did too, but Barely. we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah there's some questions. Uh, the film, though, is actually based on a true account of the Sabo Maneaters a memoir written by John Patterson, John Henry Patterson, who is actually the main character in the movie and played by Val, Irish accent, what Irish accent, Kilmer. The movie top... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but yeah, that accent comes and goes. I'd say there's a good 30% of the dialogue where there's no accent. His... Oh, and then, like He remembers like three lines into a scene, oh yeah, I'm Irish. His Whoops. Irish and then accent he sprinkles is... it in there. It's certainly not omnipresent but it's not as offensive like in the fact that it appears and disappears and reappears as DiCaprio in Gangs of New York I don't know I feel like he went to the school of Kevin Costner accents <clears throat> he went to Juilliard what are you talking yeah, about he, he went, went to, to Juilliard. Juilliard. Juilliard he's classically trained yeah. I, I would like to say that uh, my my thought here is that 
he convinced himself, Val Kilmer, that is, that he had that nailed and refused to get like a <laughs> a dialect coach or something because it's clear he did not have any feedback on that. He's just like, no, I got this. Don't worry about it. It's cool. It's going to be and, fine. And no one said anything. I can't, did I you see can't Prince of Thieves? I'm Val Kilmer. What did you direct? Predator 2? I was in Tombstone, motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, I just imagine the director's just like, fuck it. Yep. Go with it, Val. You were yeah, great. I've... Top Gun, Ice Man. I love you. To He's coming fair. off of Batman Beyond on this thing. He's making money, though. He is in the midst of a messy divorce. Uh, Val is not the issue with the acting in this movie. That's fair. Excellent. And it actually yeah. goes to the heart of this of the problem of this film, is that Val is not the top-billed star. In fact, the top-billed star for the project, despite the fact he doesn't show up until halfway through the fucking movie, is Michael Douglas. In what can only be described as, like, a 13-year-old self-insert character, name and all, Charles Remington, the yeah. badass white guy in Africa who hangs out with the Maasai and knows all the hunter tricks. It's it's really not good. <laughs> and also not part of the uh, true story. Yes, not at all. Completely, completely whole cloth. Just Michael Douglas read this and went, you know what would be good with it about this story? Me. Just put me right in it. And he yeah. doesn't fit the movie for one second. He no. is over the top. For actually, he's the worst. He's by far the worst part of the movie. The movie is really under is subdued, and no. it uh, has a nice uh, slow sort of like tension to it. It's a, it's a slow build. He shows up, and you're like, okay, now this is Jaws four. This went from being Jaws to <laughs> Jaws four, yes, out of did. nowhere. Yeah. I feel like this is the movie that Russell Crowe watched and it's like, yes, that's what I want to do. I just want to show up half cocked and just kind of do whatever and just bleh, right through a movie. That's we shooting a movie? Michael I Douglas guess we're shooting a movie. Whatever. Wu-Tang Clan? What's going on? I don't care. Cool. Cool. Uh, yeah. Rounding out the cast, though, you do get uh, John Connie as Samuel, the narrator and Patterson's African friend. Though, <clears throat> excuse me, whew, the darkness. You probably know him better as King T'Chaka, the Black Panther's dad. Oh, uh, yeah. We also get notable turns from Bernard Theoden King Hill as the camp doctor, Brian McCarty as the religious friend who gets killed, and Om Curry as the only sane man slash leader of the Indian laborers. Um, that is Brian McCarty, a.k.a. not James McAvoy, Yep. The navigator from Speed 2. It's a shame acting makes a return. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only person with a believable accent in this movie. Yes, he actually is well, Scottish. He's actually got a good Scottish. Accent too. Yeah, he, that helps. Yeah. That does help. Yes. Uh, filling out the role of mayor of the town from Jaws is Tom Wilkinson as Sir Robert Beaumont, Patterson's self-proclaimed bad boss. Also, Henry Kelly deserves a shout-out as Mahina, the guy who killed a lion, with his bare hands. And they start doing this hands-up gesture to signify that. Though, the real stars of this film are certainly Caesar and Bongo, who play the lions, the ghost, and the darkness. Yeah, I'll drink I, to that. I posted, prior to us recording this, a, a short behind-the-scenes clip of uh, the scene where, basically, Val Kilmer is going to shoot... Uh, the the lion at this point they're under the impression there's one lion and then the other yeah. one jumps off the top of the the shack at him and uh and I was shocked that they were using real lions and I'm like you know what they would never do that 
today. Not a chance in hell. And it's kind of awesome uh, that they did. And I, I assume the I, lions were hurt in the making of this movie. If anybody well, I mean, was hurt, I would have hoped it would have been Michael Douglas's character. And he was. <laughs> or at least his career. And it was, I yeah. think. Uh, I know Caesar and Bongo went on to be in George of the Jungle, so I assume they were not injured. Um, but I do think using real movie lion or real lions in the movie is one of the reasons you can go back and watch this thing. And it it again, it's not good, but it still holds up pretty decently. There's a lot of excellent tension and stuff. Um, I think the thunderous wizard nails it when he says it starts out like Jaws. It really it, does. It really, really does. And, and I don't mean that in a in a bad way. That's no. not a knock on the movie. It's just, yep, you've got guys in an environment. It's somewhat captive, and they've got some sort of predator hunting hunting them down. And it's you know, oh, it's smart. It's it's somewhat supernatural in the sense that it's it's not the normal behavior for a great white. It's not the normal behavior for for the lions. You know, they've got the taste for blood, but it's not over the top. It is very suspenseful. Yeah. Um, and they're boring, even shots, but suspenseful. Yeah, they're even shots where you see like the mane of a lion or the tail of a lion in the tall African savanna grass, which really was reminiscent to me of like a shark fin. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it actually it's like just popping up, which is a real thing. Like if you go out uh, to the, those areas in Africa and you go to like a wildlife preserve. You can see the cat stalking through the higher up brush. It's kind of if you're lucky enough. And I saw a cheetah when I was there, and that was pretty, pretty awesome. Just poked its head out. It's like, yeah. whoa, yeah, they're out there. Uh, it, it's unfortunate. Like it really is. Like he kills the lion. They think everybody's safe. Just like in yeah. Jaws, they kill the shark. They think everybody's safe. And it does have a really nice build going for it. I actually think the weakest scenes are the scenes where the lion is murdering people because they're really close cut and they don't really have that, that tension uh, as you do when you think it's about to attack or it may be near someone. They just don't work as well. They kind of turn into like schlocky horror type stuff, like people getting dragged across the floor almost like the hospital scene in Spider-Man 2, which is intentionally schlocky, Sam Raimi type. I can see that. Yeah, it's not particularly graphic either. I mean... Which is weird, because it's a hard R film. Wow, nobody under 13 should see this Michael Douglas performance. (laughs) Yeah, that's the the most offensive part. It is so, so, so bad. Sit... Sit down with your children and talk to them about the birds and Michael Douglas. He's clearly a shittier Captain Quint from Jaws, too. They even have the drinking scene after killing the first lion. It's the call before the inevitable storm, which is the final confrontation with the other lion. Okay, so let's do our one-sentence description. IMDb describes the film as... A bridge engineer and experienced old hunter begin a hunt for two lions after they start attacking local construction workers, which, I mean, yeah, that's it. But I think you're getting real close. Uh, T.W., what's your take? Uh, Noble lions bravely attempt to repel the evils of white imperialism, but unfortunately they fail. (laughs) I mean, you know, fair. Uh, And over to Chumzilla. Okay, folks. Val Kilmer plays the Wikipedia entry on African wildlife with a painfully weak Irish accent, 
what we can only assume was a backdoor pilot for a Craven the Hunter and or White Tiger solo movie. I mean, would a Black Panther have showed up uh, at some point? Well, I mean, we do have T'Chaka, so I mean, but since it's a Val Kilmer vehicle and throwing some Michael Douglas there, I went Craven and or the White Tiger. You Fair could, enough. You could literally pluck Michael Douglas from this movie and just insert him in a Spider-Man movie as Craven, playing this exact yeah. same character. Yeah, no, that's Literally, fair. if you just took a Sharpie out and drew a goatee on him, go. Just put, like, yeah, just, a get, cheetah skin. Yep. <laughs> just go nuts. He's just going to wear one of the lion's faces as a vest. So the uh, other joke I was thinking about making here, too, was that I'm pretty sure Michael Douglas thought he was shooting an Afrocentric sequel to Quigley Down Under, right? <laughs> uh, a little bit. Is that, is that what happened here? Bit. I don't know what the hell he was thinking. I was like, what is happening right now? But, yeah. but again, I go back to the director. You've got Val Kilmer and just a weak ass Irish accent. And then you got Michael Douglas just I, I doing I don't know what. At some point, that guy has to like rein it in. I mean, this was a you know, this was a big studio production. We're talking like a fifty-five million dollar movie. Hey guys, get your shit together. Like this isn't gonna fly. Again, yes, the 90s are a lawless time. Yes, as we've established, the 90s are a lawless time. And Val Kilmer in 96 and Michael Douglas in 1996 were at their most lawless. And I will just say this. This might be the second hottest I've ever seen Val Kilmer. What's the Ice Man? He he, he looked better as Ice Man, but he looked good in this movie for like a more wholesome, like kind of hunky look. He wasn't quite as ripped, but. But fatherly figure, obviously. I can see the ladies digging Val in this movie. <laughs> he was rugged and handsome with a square jaw. This was yeah, literally was part of the two-year window where you thought he was going to be the biggest star on the planet. And, of course, in that two-year window happens Batman Forever, which is a travesty. and the Right, but Doctor it made a shitload of money. Yeah. But it also, like, he hated being on that film so much, it earned him a reputation that has persisted to this day. Uh, I'll talk more about Val Kilmer as we go through the pod because I'm reading yeah. his memoir right now, but oh, nice. I've gained some great insight into the man that is Val Kilmer. Well, I, in case we haven't completely lost the thread here, my uh, my one sentence description was land jaws, but two sharks, and Hooper is the good guy. Wait, uh, T.S.? Taylor Swift? No, Quint. No, 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 Hooper. The science guy. So instead of Brody being... In in this scenario, our three characters are uh, John Henry Patterson, who is the Hooper. You've got Samuel, oh, oh. who is the Brody. Brody. And then you've yeah. got Michael Douglas's character, Charles yes. Remington, who Just is Quint. the Quint. Yes. I gotcha. Come on. So instead of a... Brody being the protagonist, it is Hooper. Yeah. That is He's badass. Richard Jeifus. He was a Jaws. <laughs> So it's worth noting, and we kind of mentioned this a little bit, that The Ghost in the Darkness was not a true flop. It actually earned $75 million on a $55 million budget. But Hollywood accounting being what it is, you don't really know. And it did win an Oscar for Best Sound Editing. So just like Suicide Squad, Why? Oscar winning, from Oscar a, winning The Ghost in the Darkness. From a technical a lot standpoint, this movie looks very good. There's a lot of awesome sh- like overhead shots. It, it it is a well constructed film 
Now, for hold up, hold up. plot issues, sure, but the so sweeping landscapes of Africa look very good in this movie. So you've just highlighted the visuals and the editing and maybe the cinematography here. Uh, it won for sound editing. Yes. I don't think this movie particularly sounded good. I, that didn't jump out to me. I, I just I, I find mm-hmm. that odd. Of course, I don't know what else was it was up against and maybe the studio bought that Oscar. I don't know, but I just don't get it. I'll be maybe honest. I don't know good sound editing when I hear it. I don't know. I didn't notice the sound. So maybe that's one of the key indicators that everything was in place and was completely believable. Either way, at the end of the day, this movie definitely was not well received by critics. It sits at 51% on Rotten Tomatoes and it definitely got Val Kilmer a Razzie nom for worst supporting actor, yeah. despite That's the fact terrible. he is clearly the lead, he is off, he is in a hundred percent of this movie, and he got supporting actor. Michael Douglas is killed off screen. He's not even in half the movie, it's, and you don't even see his corpse. Yeah, no, you just see no. his bloodstain. If Val oh, Kilmer's not the lead, spoilers. then who is? Well, and I think regardless of that, you, you spend the whole movie watching it through the lens of Val Kilmer's character. It's I mean, all oh, his he's, he's clearly yeah. our avatar in the film. Michael Douglas is not, we don't relate to him. Everything Although what I will say about is this on movie the line is, for John Henry Patterson, everything. Right. But what I find funny about this is that they try to set up that character development angle of him having to be successful and having multiple, you know, problems there. Uh, and completing his task, including defeating the lions and all that. But what really fell apart for me in this movie is like, why do we care? Why are we building this bridge? Why is it important to beat the French and the Germans? Now, hey, I'm all for beating the French. On principle. On principle. But it doesn't feel important in the movie. They don't really like tie it in. They just kind of rush to get to the lion thing. Well, now, granted, the whole point of this movie is to get to the lions. The so plot it's like, it, it's like very poorly. Right. This well, is my not point a sympathetic is, like, plot. The rush like to tried... exploit Africa. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, they kind of yada yada over around. that. And, but it's kind of like they added extra motivation to Jaws, but then they don't do anything with it. So yeah, but it's Jaws. There's a shark. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, minute, but it's just Jaws was just shot way better and did it first. This would be like if, yeah. jo- if Jaws was a series of oil tanker captains all rushing to crash as quickly as possible. <laughs> so I will say this. I, I find it odd that in this movie they refer to Africa multiple times as though it's a country and not a continent. Now, granted, they're in what is present-day Kenya, right, and Kenya. It, it wasn't Kenya at the time, but yeah, I feel like there's a more sensitive way to handle that instead of just being like, yeah, Africa, like this place. Africa's huge. It's a continent. They compare I mean, it to India. India is a country. North Africa. Colonial. Or East Africa. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like they didn't even handle that very sensitively. So yeah, I thought that was kind of a, and maybe that was just for the nineties. Maybe that was just too much. I maybe mean, there was no good way out. Well, the funny, know. the funny thing is, is that Val Kilmer, who, as I said, I'm reading this book. He has like this very fond appreciation for Africa, and he's gone there many times throughout his life. So, and he's notoriously picky about scripts and character motivations and why he's doing something. It's weird to me that he would sort of be like, "No, we're gonna have to be a little bit 
better about this the way we're See, framing I, this. I don't know. I think that's a set of blinders for him. He went, wait, you're going to pay me to spend two to three months in Africa? Fuck yeah, I'm in. Yeah. What do we do? Well, Lion's cool. I also think that this movie kind of falls into the white savior trope a bit. Like, hard. Well, Wilkinson well, says it. Like, we have to save Africa from itself. It's like, this guy is such a dickbag. That's how well, he introduces himself. Like, you're going to hate me, and we're there because they can't t- they can't use the land for what it's meant to be used for. He's awful. Like, yeah, and for what so. it's worth, he is deliberately billed as an antagonist. Yeah. So even right, though they, it was the late 90s, there's still a sense They don't really address of, it, though. Hey, no, they they do not address the colonialism angle at all. There's one line in the movie where they do, and that's when Val Kilmer boasts is, is whatever Paddington Bear or whatever his name is. He boasts that he's going to kill the lion or something, and the uh, <clears throat> the Hindi guy's like, "Sure, you will. You can do anything because you're white." Oh well, yeah, no, that's true. That, that guy, I did like that. That guy like says that. multiple things. He says like all the problems here are because of you. Yep. Uh, another guy references that. They believe the lions are solely after you. You're the one they want to get. So they do address it in certain ways. Yeah. But at the but the end, they're they're all buddy-buddy. Like, well, that's cool. Hey, you yeah. did it, man. You are the white savior. Thanks, Whitey. should have never <laughs> been <laughs> so mean to you upon your Mayonnaise sandwiches all around. With that in mind, let's jump into the plot, which is Val Kilmer's John Henry Patterson, a famed Irish bridge engineer, in 1898, is hired by Wilkinson's Beaumont to get this railroad project in Savo, Kenya, back on schedule. Patterson leaves for Kenya, telling his pregnant wife, hey, I'll be back before the birth of your son, which, like, the math on this is a little fuzzy to me, but let's assume she is two months pregnant, right? That's seven months for him to travel to Africa, build a bridge in the middle of nowhere, and travel back. In... 1898 terms that's not possible is it no i think he uh, makes it sound like it's a six-month endeavor yeah that seems... he, he was supposed to finish the bridge in five months but if yeah. you can if you take into account travel travel there's right, almost yeah. no way he makes it back in time so dicey but in any case upon traveling to savo he meets the rest of the cast strong guy to be killed to show how tough the lions are religious guy to be killed to hint the lions might be evil, curmudgeonly doctor to be killed after turning a new leaf to show that the lions are ruthless, plus King T'Chaka as Patterson's confidant. Uh, Patterson learns that a lion attack has slowed the work at the bridge and sets out at night to hunt and kill it. He does so with zero fuss and kills it with a single shot, earning the respect of the workers. Yay, mayo sandwiches, mayo sandwiches, mayo sandwiches, and the railroad is back on schedule. And this is like the first 20 minutes of the film. There's not a lot that happens. Soon after, Mahina, the uh, aforementioned big tough guy, is dragged from his tent and promptly killed by lions that, according to the doctor, licked his skin off to drink his blood and ate him feet first, which is pretty goddamn metal. Yeah. For a hard R movie come from the guy that did Predator 2, I expected to see some of that. Yeah, and you really don't. I'm just saying. Like, we saw what happened to those, like, cartel members in Predator 2. I feel like we should have seen the same thing here. At least some kind of, yeah. I I think as gross as we get is the religious guy, and we're going to get there. But for a thing that is This is is film. Show me. Don't tell me. Show me. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Well, but at the same time, 
that's what made Jaws so successful. You didn't see the shark for the first 40 minutes. It built the suspension and the scariness. But, I don't need to see the know, shark. Yeah. I, I just need to see the dead bodies. We see the dead bodies in Jaws. Jaws. That's fair. Jaws we see the dead bodies in Jaws. Jaws is PG. Yeah, well, 1975 was a weird time, too. <laughs> it's in PG any case. 13 today. Let's be honest. That's PG 13 today. Ah, I disagree. You see titties. It is definitely an R. Oh, that's a good point. I forgot mm. about the titties. 1975. Bare female breasts hide the children. The horror. Clutch your pearls, folks. Exposed time female breasts. To talk to your children about the birds and Michael Douglas. Very important. Patterson, though, decides, hey, I took out one lion. I can definitely take this new lion. He tries. He fails. And he fails so spectacularly that the lion eventually grows bold enough to attack during the day. We get the aforementioned Jaws-esque shots of lion manes or tails in the grass. Another attack kills not only more workers, which the workers get killed with alarming regularity of red shirts and they just kind of get swept under the rug. But that's another thing. But then it also kills the Scottish religious guy in the reveal that there are actually two lions. Uh, And this is where we get the only gory shot where the lion jumps and I guess scratches the Scottish guy's throat. But his throat looks truly mangled. Like it's it's an it's a somewhat impressive gore effect. No. Yeah, it was good. Let's be honest. He he had it coming. His entire purpose uh, being in Africa was to convert the entire continent. They don't need your uh, pressure, buddy. Leave him alone. And more, he didn't bother yelling out even a single bit of useful nautical knowledge the entire time. I expected some decent seafaring you know, tidbits from his character, and we got nothing. Like how many so, knots away the lion was when it was about to kill them? Yeah, yeah. exactly. My if it was on the starboard side, or was it, you know... Oh, he definitely caught it from from the starboard side. Definitely not important. <laughs> he got it straight in the poop deck, folks. <laughs> My issue was, okay, so he's Scottish, and he wants to convert everyone. Is he converting them to Roman Catholicism or Protestantism? Because the Scottish aren't known particularly for being either uh, of those, that, like, particularly interested in converting people, nor are they known for being Roman Catholics. So I'm kind of like, this is kind of at odds. Yeah, well, either way. And, and uh, John Henry says, you know, good luck. My mother was Protestant. My father was Irish Catholic. So I don't know what the Scottish guy's religion was. Northern. Yeah. Does that indicate that Patterson is from Northern Ireland? I haven't actually bothered to look that closely at Patterson's thing. His mom is. Yeah. yeah One of them at least. Lineage from Northern Ireland, yeah. Aside from the accent, that might be the least plausible Irish angle in the movie. <laughs> for that time period. God, that and, Mike, and Michael Douglas uh, is a devil worshiper. <laughs> it's not explicitly said, you just know. Andy's weird in this movie. Oh, he not, met in the context of yeah, the met in general. Yeah, oh. not, his, not his character. Michael Douglas oh. just in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, work on the bridge halts as the workers, understandably, don't want to work where eaten by lion is a possible outcome of their nine to five. And so Beaumont, the bad boss, shows up and offers to hire the great white hunter, Charles Remington. So just a quick aside here. Is this um, an allegory for COVID-19? I mean, a little bit as I'm watching this and they're like, hey, Are look, the lions, this is going to... Are the virus? 
Is yeah. it, do we have two of them? You have the current infection and then the second wave if we don't, you know, quarantine and take precautions. If we don't yeah. hire a ridiculous white hunter to kill it. So what does that make Elon Musk in this movie? He's the bad British guy, right? Oh, yeah, just... easily. Elon, Elon Musk is very much... It, Get the, back uh, to work, Cleves. Why didn't they hire uh, Van Pelt from Jumanji? He's an excellent hunter. Much See, better than would Remington. Have, they would have, but he was 1950... Or, sorry, he was 1850s Remington... Remington was 1898. Van That's Pelt the challenge. Is, is this the second or third pod in a row that would have been improved if Bloodshot had shown up and just murdered everyone, including the lions at some point? I feel and like free, Bloodshot freed the Africans the and, and the Indians. Uh, so they're not explicitly slaves. They are workers. They do get wages. Uh, but I still think the lions aren't necessarily in the wrong here. I bet you there's a company store. They're basically indentured servants. When Michael Douglas shows up, he puts a gun to the guy's head and threatens to murder the foreman in front of all the workers just to keep them in line. Well, let's take a, again, quick aside with Uncle Chupzilla here. Uh, let's be clear. One of the conflicts in the movie, which they address and highlight, is the fact that the natives, the Africans, the uh, what we, the modern day Kenyans and Ugandans don't get along with the uh, Hindis that are there, and I guess there's some Muslims as well, because the colonial Brits have brought Indian labor to the African continent. Those guys weren't there voluntarily. That is completely a result of colonialism and the uh, subjugation of the Indian people by the Brits. So they're technically slaves, I suppose. But in reality, the slave trade does come into play as to why there may or may not have been man-eating lions uh, in the area. Uh, we'll get to that, I'm sure, when it comes up, the historic yeah, that's true. But, but there's a lot of complicated British history yes. um, that kind of just yada, yada, yada right through. And again... Mayonnaise sandwiches all around. Val Kilmer smooths it all over in the end because, goddamn, is he charming? It's still complicated there. Uh, oh yeah, it's terribly complicated. I mean, a lot of people think the United States invented racism. Uh, no, no, we we inherited it from our from our colonial parents. The ironic thing is that uh, Beaumont says like they're they're building this railroad to end the slave trade. That does get mentioned and. To be fair, they had outlawed slavery for quite some time, and so had America by this point. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's still the the societal memory there, and it's still equality is not where it should be. Yeah, and there was certainly the subjugation of Indian people, and none of these people would be allowed to vote in proper society as it existed, quote unquote, proper society as it existed. All, all and this film, I think tries to do a little lip service to that, but does not particularly succeed by, I think, any of our estimations. No, You know what? At the end of the day, I bet you Elon Musk watches this movie and he's like, fuck yeah, I'm Val Kilmer. He's, these people he's, need me. He's these Val people Kilmer. need me. Yeah, he's like, these people need me. I'm killing the lions so they can keep building my bridge. Yike. Yeah. Yike. He's the worst kind of villain. He's the worst kind of villain because he's the kind of villain that thinks he's the hero of his story. 
son of a bitch, he really is Tony Stark. Anyway, br- bringing it back, bringing it back. Hang okay, on. yeah, uh, tighten it up, tighten it up, tighten it up. They they do hire Remington, uh, who shows up with a band of Maasai warriors who dub the lions the Ghost and the Darkness. Though it should be noted that there's no way to actually distinguish which of the lions is the ghost and which is the darkness. They're just called that. As far as the film is shot, these are twin lions. They yeah. look exactly the same. There's no way to yeah. distinguish. Which you I know, feel I like was a mistake. I think that was a mistake because much like Chopping Mall, they they bothered a number of the killbots. And they allegedly had personalities, but you don't really see the difference between the killbots on screen. In the Ghost in the Darkness, they give the titular lions names, but you don't really understand which one's which. You don't make that connection. So it's, I think they missed out there. If they could somehow have had one, maybe had darker fur, and you know, or one was sneakier than the other, like somehow one had a scar and a British accent, and one was sort of gingery and talked like James Earl. Wait, no, huh? No, that's a different movie. Hold your son up high. Hold your son yeah. up high. I mean, that does come into play in this movie. It um, truly does. The Maasai yeah. is still active in Kenya today. If you go there, you will see Maasai tribesmen walking around, uh, herding. Uh, they're around. Well, but the the thing I think is funny is the Maasai so go on. <laughs> still, still active. The Maasai go on one hunt and then leave. And then that's it. But Remington sticks around because he's going to get this lion. Uh, they construct a fake hospital and cover it in blood and animal parts as a trap. The lions show up but sniff out a trap and bail to attack the actual hospital, killing tons of workers and the doctor, which is the final straw for the workers who finally abandon the camp and leave Remington, Samuel, and Patterson yep. to just deal with this. Except in multiple long shots, you see people working in the background after this incident. As Val oh, Kilmer right. stares into the distance reflectively, like, oh, how has this all gone so wrong? Yes, there's people still building the bridge after they I mean, apparently like, already well, left. Well, I mean, some guys just had to get that last, you know, bit done to get their last check. So, listen, they were essential workers. They needed to be there. In any case, Patterson Remington then find the lion's lair, and it is littered with bones, including human. The only reason I mention this is because this feels like a really evocative part of the film, and it's one of the things that stuck with me more than a lot of the other parts. So, I mean, I don't know. Because it reminded you so much of the 13th Warrior. Yes! It really did! It really did! It was like exactly what I was going to say! Because it, it is absurd. Not once, not one kill they show on screen did the lions drag the entire carcass back to their cave of, of skulls. They leave it there to be picked clean by the vultures. So the notion that they had carried all these people back there is ridiculous. Because they, would, they wouldn't do that. Well, what I also thought was interesting about that is they also throw in some prehistoric stuff. Because don't they see some cave writings on the wall? as well uh, I, I, I might have that. That. Yeah. I do recall okay. when Val Kilmer's torch well, turns into a flashlight but well, he's, well, he's, he's looking at something <laughs> on the wall there's a marking on the wall and I, 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 but, but the point being though um, what I liked about that scene is yes it did make you think of the 13th warrior but it was also probably the only scene that Michael Douglas took it down a notch that's true. Maybe that's why. He actually acted there. So it, it it had a little bit of like, hey, like, you know, 
quickly down under is shaking here. This must be serious. They yeah. can add a little weight to the scene. There's about and two Val Kilmer looked legitimately shocked. Like he also yeah. acted pretty well in that scene. It felt like it was in a different movie. Granted, I, I it didn't quite line up as to Thunderous Wizard's point. It didn't really make a lot of sense, but it was a well acted scene. I believe the actors they were shocked and appalled at what they discovered. That's they found fair. Grindel's lair, and it was terrifying. Yes, yes, yes. It's a, so again. I feel like that's one of the highlights of the film, even if it's not particularly related to plot. Uh, as far as the plot picks up, uh, they set another trap. Remington managed to actually kill one of the lions, uh, and then the three being Samuel, so Hooper, <laughs> Chief Brody, and Quint spend the evening getting drunk, and then, unbeknownst to them sneaks up and kills Remington in the night, which is completely done off screen, and they just find his body, which they don't show you. It's just a bloody area in the grass. They get drunk in the least Irish way possible by drinking each individual bottles of champagne. <sighs> yeah, I mean, that's even French, too. They really didn't think that out. They, they even made a joke early in the movie about, like, oh, Val Kilmer's narrating his letter back home in an awful awful non-existent irish accent about oh you know how they say that uh, you know they they invented liquor to keep the irish from ruling the world and so we see you know our teetotaler drinking in the end he's drinking champagne like a sissy Listen, his not... mom was prostitute he should have been hammering bushmills that's all i'm saying <laughs> there's but... no way there's no way the son of a protestant irish woman goes to the african bush without a case of bushmills i mean that's just science you can't argue against that i and nor will I try. Okay. There, there was a good chance that Michael Douglas's Remington had drank all the whiskey over the first two and a half hours he had arrived at camp. That might explain uh, his behavior for the rest of the film. Again, <laughs> I don't think Remington did it. I do think Michael Douglas did it. He arrived on set and promptly drank all the liquor and spent the rest of the time going... Jesus, oh, I got a fucking hangover. And what am I, line? And, and, and poor Stephen Hopkins, like, fuck it, just, just keep rolling, keep rolling, we'll use it, we'll use we'll it. keep shooting, it's, keep it's shooting. cool, yeah, it's gonna stop. be great. Don't stop, we'll get this. Thanks, yep. Mike, Mike, you're a peach bud, thank you. Ultimately, Patterson sorts it out by burning the tall grass around the camp, which flushes out that last lion, and after a protracted battle, he manages to kill it, the workers return to the camp. The bridge is finished on time. Mrs. Patterson shows up with the baby boy Patterson. Happy ending. Hold your son up high. Hey, don't forget when Hopkins channels his history in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and we get the the murder-death kill of the, of the newborn. So, murder-death kill. Yeah, murder-death kill. I didn't mention that, but there is absolutely a, <laughs> a dream sequence wherein... The wife Patterson with the baby Patterson are assaulted by the lion. And it is a it is it is tense and jarring. It feels awful until it like smash cuts. He wakes up in a flop sweat and just like jumps up out of the bed. But with this bottle of champagne, hence the bad dreams. If he'd been drinking Bushmills, that wouldn't have happened. Champagne dreams. No good. No good. So. What I will say about that scene that I really enjoyed, and yes, it, it is very much a you know Nightmare on Elm Street type moment. I like the fact that he couldn't make it through the crowd, that he kept bumping into people. He couldn't 
and like just more people kept showing up and they kept cutting away. You you quickly it's not a huge surprise. You real if you're a film person, you realize it's a dream because he gets improbably delayed trying to get to her. But haven't we all had dreams like that? That's that's such a standard cliche dream thing, but it's real. It's relatable. Like yeah. again, it felt like that was a scene from a different movie. But he nails that feeling of like that weird dream where you're just treading water. You can't move. You're stuck in electrified tar. It's like, oh, I just need to get there, but I can't. And people keep bumping. Me. I, it was great. I liked it. It just didn't it didn't feel in, like it was in place in this movie. But that was a good scene. Like that would have yeah. worked in different contexts. And I, li- I liked it. I liked it much like the cave scene isolated. It had weight. That dream sequence. I, I felt it was visceral. Usually in like, my dream, pan- though, I panicked a little bit. I I felt anxiety watching that. Usually because... in my dream, it's Michael Douglas who pounces upon my family <laughs> and begins to feast on them, and, and pulls up like Patrick Bateman with like you know blood, yeah. and sinew in his teeth. Just that ridiculous haircut. <laughs> well, that's like, a bad that, wig. That bad wig. Yeah, that is, is that a haircut? bad wig. Bad that wig? is a bad, bad wig. wig. Never take another sure man's bad wig. That's up. bad extensions. That, like, yeah. This movie was at the forefront cutting technology of extensions in 1996. Like, they hadn't quite yeah. figured it out, but this is some, like, the relic dodgy CGI, but extensions for hair. So, so um, one problem I have with this, and you sort of hit on it in your plot reflection there, Captain Cash, is our protagonist, Patterson, does shoot the first line. One shot, one kill. Very impressive. He proceeds to be an utter buffoon with a gun the rest of the movie. Like, he shows no aptitude for gunplay or hunting or marksmanship the rest of the time. He's a shitty shot. Like, Michael Douglas has to sit, Remington has to save his ass, and then he stumble fucks his way into killing that last lion. At no point is he like the triumphant, like, hunter that, that, makes the shot they tried to build tension to make it seem like it was a desperation thing but it seems counterintuitive because he's he's the hero you want him to have his hero moment his hero moment's the one shot one kill the next two lions like he barely kills them and not like in a suspenseful way he barely kills them in like he's a bumbling idiot way that's like oh i i fell i dropped something i didn't catch it i I barely got the shot off. I missed it. I'm struggling to reload. It's like, yes, those all build tension and it does make it more dramatic technically, but it just, it just feels like he's just stumble fucking along and not really like being a badass. Like you want him to be a badass. Like you're pulling for him to have that moment. And it doesn't really happen. And all that being said, I feel like that brush fire to flush out the last line causes a lot of problems that aren't addressed. <laughs> Wait, where's the fire department? Who's putting that out? Like, you're just gonna no, let that nobody, naturally burn no out and hope that it doesn't there. like burn down the entire savannah. Like, I feel like there's a lot of problems that, that that make that really troublesome after the kill. Like, oh, by the way, now the, the next like, you know, 45 acres are burning. Who's gonna put that out? Well, yeah, it's an incredibly you... stupid thing to do. It more than likely would have burned the bridge down. Well, yeah, what, but a colonialist is not thinking that far ahead. Let's be well, honest. I mean, I get the principle. You want to smoke out the line. I get and it's a cool visual, cool visual points for the cool visual. But I feel like that causes way more problems than it solves. I think you're looking into something that is the least of this movie's worries. 
the, the uh, stuff, I beg to differ. The stuff with the hunting is Doesn't all it? accountable to the fact that these lions are supposed to be mystical. They are so psyched out. They've killed over 40 people in the camp. It just dragged away this hunter who's supposed to be the guy that's going to help you get rid of this last lion and murdered him in the middle of the night. He's like a man broken by that point. And I, I think it, it, it would cheapen it if he's the same Broken guy by what? That's just shot. the weight of the white man's guilt? Oh, listen, yeah. we're going to get into general impressions in just a bit. We're going to take a brief break. We'll come back. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. So general impressions of this movie. How many beers is The Ghost and the Darkness? Okay, uh, one beer for each lion. So that's two. Two beers for the movie itself. I like this movie. It's not great, uh, but I did enjoy it, and I love Val Kilmer, so I give him a pass for the sort of shaky Irish accent because he actually does some pretty good work in the movie. Uh, But then you have to take two beers or two shots to deal with whatever the hell Michael Douglas is doing. It's a theater of the absurd and the fact that Val Kilmer was nominated for a Razzie and he was not. Now, I don't know if that's true. Was he not nominated? I, I didn't see anything. I only saw that Val Kilmer got the Razzie for supporting, which kills me. Michael Douglas is a train wreck in this movie. And he's only in it for 30 minutes. But every scene, aside from the one in the cave and the one where he's kind of describing how things in his life didn't exactly pan out the way he wanted... Every other scene, which is the majority of his lines, is awful. He never shuts up. He goes on these crazy monologues. It, 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 it takes you out of the entire film. The film is working really nicely, and as soon as he shows up, it's utter shit every time he talks. I'm not going to disagree. He is the definitive version of a Mary Stew. Or a Gary Stew. Mary Sue, Gary Stew. It's the self-insert character... I'm the most badass, and I can do all the cool things, and look at all my neat shit. Like, Val Kilmer, who's the star, rarely has lengthy... He never goes on... Like, his lines are very short. It's it's to the character, who is this straight-laced kind of guy. He's very matter-of-fact. He talks like a human. Yes. Well, hold on. Hold on. almost every Michael Douglas scene is him talking for two to three minutes non-stop it's idiotic he's terrible he's terrible in this movie no i'd like to point out that uh no i don't see michael douglas listed here as a uh, worst supporting actor or worst it's the worst performance of the 90s forget 1996 well in 1996 he was beat out for the razzie nominations not the winner but the nominations by Tom Arnold in several stupid movies. Holly well, Shore in Biodome. Okay. Uh, Keanu Reeves in Chain Reaction. Adam Sandler in Bulletproof and Happy Gilmore. Fuck you. Both of those are good movies. I mean, um, Happy Gilmore at least. Yeah, yeah. Sly Stallone in Daylight. Hey, Bulletproof is good. Bulletproof is good. Uh, uh, it's got James Cannon in it. It's a movie. James Caan. James Khan, Khan, yeah, Con. and Mr. Bledsoe, Mr. Bledsoe, his bodyguard in that movie was Bane and Batman Forever. Yes. Oh no. Also, yeah. if 
you remember this from the pod, his wrestling nickname, The Final Solution, which was quickly changed. Yeah. uh, You can't do that. That's a critical Uh, research failure. Yeah. So, okay. So Douglas somehow squeaked by here. Probably, again, greasing some palms. His agent made this happen. I'm sorry, but but Val Kilmer has no business being amongst those guys either. I mean, give me a break. Well... I think you're overlooking a key element here that uh, harkens back to one of the earlier episodes of the pod, Mr. Wizard. Uh, he was nominated for two roles, not just the Ghost in the, the other Darkness. The has to be the Island of Dr. Moreau. It is, in fact, the Island of Dr. Moreau. And yeah. he's good in that, too. I'll go to my grave is fight he? for Val Kilmer in the Island of Dr. Is Moreau. He? But don't worry, because who did who did Val Kilmer lose out to Probably for the Paul best Shore. supporting no, for the best supporting actor. Paul Isher was a leading actor. Oh, Tom Arnold. No, no. that They actually co-won. Uh, it was Tom Arnold and Polly Shore. No, <laughs> best support. It, it, I'll give you a hint. It was one of his co-stars, and it wasn't Michael Douglas. Oh, it was uh, Marlon Brando. Yes. Yes. Who, yeah. who Val Kilmer was spared bizarre. the 1996 Razzie for worst supporting actor by his co-star, Marlon Brando. Okay, so there you go. Which, I mean... Brando's performance was weird, but worst? I don't know. Either way, uh, Chumzilla, for you, how many beers this movie? Oh, this was easily a three-beer movie, and then when Michael Douglas shows up, finish your drink. Boom. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I came in at, uh, like, I like this movie. I, I like killer animal movies. I like adventure movies. And while it's thrilling, this movie is takes a while to get going and man it is weirdly lumpy so three it's beers boring. like at points it really is it, it the actions it's not really action um it does I, tension it, well it does tension well where you feel like the line is straight gonna murder it, yeah a bunch of people and but, then i see the weird uh ear uh prosthesis on tachaka dangling around while he's reading his lines and it just takes me out of the movie and then mm-hmm. I'm like, what am I watching? He was my like favorite character though. He was okay. Uh but he it, gives it, the best performance without yeah. question. Yeah. Um you believe he's terrified of lions, which he reveals that he is. But I'll 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 draw the comparison to Pluto Nash though. Like this is a movie that's got action in it that just doesn't work. Like I I don't some of the weakest parts of the movie are when the lions actually do stuff. The threat, the menacing of the lions, the suspense, some of the sneaky stuff, the Jaws-esque stuff that you sort of see a little bit of, it's hinted at, that's good. It builds tension. It, it builds, you know, uh, a mood. But the action in it's just not great. You know, that scene in the boxcar, for example. That scene in the boxcar wasn't great. Now, granted, they couldn't do a lot with CGI back then, and they didn't do much CGI, if anything, in this movie. Very little. And uh, they didn't, you know, they couldn't really use the lions for that, I'm sure, because it's a practical effect. And they didn't have a robot lion, unlike what Jaws. CGI, there was no what robot CGI lion. they did is, is quite noticeable, in my opinion. It, it is. It is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just it's kind of boring. And like I said, like the hero never really gets his moment. He kills the lions. Yes. But he does it in like a really underwhelming fashion. I think it's in a lot of ways, the movie was trying to be realistic and having him be 
this guy that's larger than life and rises to the moment with no fear would not be true to the character. Which we're going to talk a lot about that in the next bit, but because the reality of this is, at least according to Patterson, he killed both of these lions. So the reality of what happened, it, it gets really weird and you talked about the the scene in the boxcar which we didn't mention in the plot details because it's just it's one other thing that happens that doesn't really change anything all of that is real save for the fact that the people that were shooting were soldiers not just some hapless dimwits they gave guns to so it's even more unbelievable but we're gonna get there i mean Alt, before we jump into what I'm going to call the reality isn't real enough bit of this pod, do you feel like this movie deserved a flop, yes or no? Chumzilla, what's your thought on this first? Uh, yeah. Um, I think this movie suffers from a lack of some of the cliche Hollywood charm. Mm. It's not a terrible movie, but the story needed punched up a bit. I mean, it hits a lot of the beats that are true, and the factual stuff is there, but they take liberties and I just feel like they took the liberties in the wrong places. It needed to be punched up more with a little more focus on, Hey, what would look good on the screen? What would make sense in terms of a narrative? Um, I just didn't buy into this movie. I mean, it's got a story. It makes sense and I could follow it, but it doesn't really pay off in the way you want a movie about killer lions to work out. Cause again, we're supposed to root for the heroes here. There's no, there's no, this isn't Orca. Okay. This isn't Orca. We're not rooting for the lions. There's no question whether or not the lions are bad or good. No, the lions are bad, even though they're trying to stop colonialism, but I mean, to be we, fair, they're, they're just eating everybody. They're not, their well, net effect is no more colonialism. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, the, I mean, technically they're a buffer to colonialism. But, but the point being is you're not rooting for the lions. There's no question, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it needed punched up. It needed the Hollywood treatment. It would have been much more satisfying. I think if they'd done that, it would have found a better audience. And it, it might have made like $150 million. Side note, I would love to do Orca on this pod at some point. I, I don't think it flopped. I think it actually did very well. I have no idea what that movie is, but I know because you told me that the the whale's the good guy. So the whale is absolutely the good guy. I enjoy the shit out of that movie. Yeah. Anyway, I, over right, to I, CW. I, yep. I I think you're you're looking at it in a sense of it has to be a typical Hollywood thing, and and he's the good guy, but uh, he's not necessarily good or bad guy. He's just a guy that you can empathize with because he's not a horrible human being. His boss is clearly horrible. Michael Douglas is in some section of gray, although... Clearly insane. Yeah. Uh, he at least respects the uh, customs and the ways of the people in which he inhabits. Uh, it's really just a look at this historical event, and the biggest problem is that it's a complicated piece of history that they decide not to address at all, really. Aside from, like, hey, the boss is really mean, and maybe you hate him, but... You're supposed to like Val Kilmer because he's nice, but like the reasons they're there are not at all empathetic. Like you're not sympathetic to that cause. Like oh, they're gonna go exploit Africa. So yeah, I was rooting for the lions. Well, it's I'll their just home. say this. I'll just I'll just say <laughs> like, this. I don't care about those workers. They should have been there either. Let, let's think about it from this context. 
if Val Kilmer wasn't there, are we to believe those lions would have just murdered everyone and civilization would have stopped because of these two lions until no, they, they passed away from natural causes? If Val Kilmer isn't sent there, the, then the whole thing is that the British aren't there to begin with. Val Kilmer's sent there because the British have a presence But they're already there. there. But, but they're already there before Val Yeah, they, they'd have sent some other jackass yeah. other so, but, but my, my, my point is, like, the whole point is Val Kilmer came there and he was the white savior. He solved the problem. That problem would have persisted had Val Kilmer not been the guy so, to solve so it. So then what you're saying is this is the perfect stereotypical Hollywood movie. But they don't they don't give it to us in that fashion. It's Well yeah, cuz it's not a 1950s movie. You have to have to, to, for this movie to but have there's, any But there's no subtlety to it. It's just he just stumble. To, to, to your point, I, I think there's a way to do this in a he, smarter fashion. That's all I'm saying. There's a way to do this in a smarter fashion that also services standard Hollywood conventions for action. One of the better things about the movie is that he comes, he immediately kills this lion, everybody thinks he's larger than life. That is a facade. He's no better than anybody else there. He got lucky and he shot a lion that wasn't the lion that was causing all the trouble. And then those other lions basically destroy him. Listen, I I would actually like to see a a full-on remake of this film done by someone with the intelligence and sensitivity of a Jordan Peele, wherein it is revealed that John Henry Patterson was full of shit and he didn't actually kill the two lions that killed 130 people like he had reported. But in fact, it was a team of people that handled this and it wasn't the dumb Irishman from out of nowhere. It's no, very no, no, I'll flip likely... it around. I, what I'd like to... I'd like this to be flipped into a guerrilla terrorist movie where they're not actually lions, much like the 13th warrior. They're bear people. Oh, but lion they people. They were bear people. Yes. Scooby-Doo style trying to scare off the colonists. I would have to. Colonists? Colonists. Colonizers. Trying to scare off the colonizers. And they're actually bear people. My only concern there is it, it makes the, the bear people, the lion people, seem bad. Where no, but they're like good. We would, they're trying, yeah, they're we, trying to we stop would root for them. Yeah, no, yes, we would root yeah. for them. They're yeah, not really lions. They're people. That was the whole point. They're trying to sabotage the bridge because they don't want it to happen. I might, I might actually be okay with that. That would make for a good horror movie with a good I twist so. at the end. Jordan, Jordan Peele style. To your point, yeah, Jordan Peele style. There we That's go. a good twist. Good to, twist. To really answer your question, though, any movie that is a historical sweeping movie like this is going to have a difficult time being a success yeah that's fair uh unless it's like one of the select few that catches fire and this movie just isn't good enough to really this isn't gladiator where everybody loved gladiator or or, uh braveheart this is more like okay uh, hold up though both those movies are embellished towards the standard Hollywood tropes though that's true those are both played up for big cinematic William Stuff. Wallace was fighting Action. for a righteous cause, and yeah. and you could say that Maximus is Maximus is a lot less shaded than John Henry Patterson, who's there to fulfill this destiny of an unjust nation. Maximus is betrayed and fights his way back to redeem himself and frees Rome from the oppressors. Ah, so to you my know the point, weird thing, Gladiator is going to come up later. Yep. So I don't want to say too much, but go on. So to my point, though, both those movies, Mr. Wizard, 
do not shy away from the heavier political or socio-political themes. Both those movies tackle those themes head on and they are core to the plot. All that stuff happens in the background of this movie. I'll just say that those movies tackle those things head on. Now, they simplify it. Are they 100% accurate? No, but they are addressed directly in both those films. The only thing that I would add to that, though, is the, the challenge with that whole thing is that both Gladiator and Braveheart very much sidestep the racial issues that are inherent in this film. And those are issues that we still deal with today. Now, you can talk broadly about, oh, the Scottish fought for independence and things like that. And you can talk about how, oh, well, Gladiator was dealing with, you know, technically themes. slavery. Yeah. Themes of slavery. But, but also sidesteps the fact that Rome had just full on slavery. Yeah. Well, so, but my point is they don't shy away from it in the context of a Hollywood movie. They that 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 they address it. Now, is it historically accurate to your point? No. No. It it gets the Hollywood treatment, but it is addressed head on and it's part of the central plot. Um anyway, uh, you know, I'm just saying this movie kind of falls into a weird in-between zone. This movie's cast is that far fair? more appropriately than either of those movies. That's fair. That brings us to the reality isn't real enough challenge. So oh, the, the real weird thing about the story of the Sabo man-eaters is that so much of what happens on film was altered for the sake of the fact that nobody thought that they would believe it if they portrayed it as it was written. Now, probably worth noting that the person who wrote about it was John Henry Patterson, the main character who goes on to kill both lions despite all all evidence to the contrary. So, it's a little weird. Uh, the movie itself actually mentions that the Sabo man- man-eaters were real lions that you can now visit at the Chicago Field Museum all of which is true. Uh, what the movie doesn't tell you, though, is that the Savo man-eaters, like all lions of Savo, don't have manes, where in the film, they absolutely have manes. Yeah. So there really is this sort of, like, they're trying to dramatize it, but at the same time, they can't dramatize it too much because then you wouldn't believe it. Well, uh, I think the problem is if we saw maneless lions, we think they were ladies. That's entirely true, and I mean, sexy like, lady lions, <laughs> sexy lady lions. I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that entirely, but I'm bought in. Fear I mean, they're man eaters, aren't they? Fear those movie lions. Uh, but for me, most unbelievably, and I feel like we might have mentioned this earlier, but it bears repeating: the scene in the film where Patterson has designed this trap for the lion, where in it enters a boxcar on one side of the boxcar is a bunch of people with guns, the other side is lion, and it's separated by steel bars, was a thing that actually happened. And not only did that happen, as it happens in the movie, their random wild shooting shoots the lock that released the lion. Not only did all of that happen in real life, but instead of just being some dumbass hapless workers that Patterson gave rifles to these were trained soldiers and all of that still happened this is a real like you can't 
you can't write this. Reality is just that insane. Well, I, I think it just goes to show you that people panic in situations of extreme stress. Oh, for sure. Wait, you just criticized Patterson for doing that. Yeah, in, in the context of a Hollywood movie, we're talking about the reality here is that even soldiers panic in combat. That That's a fact. But anyway, so what you're telling me is Patterson got the soldiers he wanted. He did. In reality. He, he got, yes, he got a handful of, of and Indian they sucked. At, at least they were not able to kill a lion in a boxcar. I, I feel like one guy just had to like calm everybody else down, just walk right up and just like, I got this, just chill and just put the barrel through the bars and make boom. But no, that lion was probably pitching a fit and they panicked. So with that in mind, I give you the reality isn't real enough challenge. I will give you three facts quote unquote that they altered to make this movie realistic one of them they actually did the other two they did not do your job is to find which one of these things did they actually do so in other words they actually did to make the movie more real yes exactly more okay real. Yes. gotcha more, more real. real. So, so fibs, fibs towards the angle of realism. Exactly. Okay. So as as the example for the ghost in the darkness, your three choices would be: a, the men, the movie mentions savo meaning slaughter. In fact, this is changed from the original Swahili, which means sunny valley. B, one of the lions were trapped by three to four people that shot at it to kill it, all missed, and, in fact, accidentally freed the lion, but it was soldiers doing the shooting, not hapless rail workers. Or C, the two Savo managers were, in fact, female lions, but were changed to males to be more intimidating. So, so the correct answer would be A, B, or C. B. B, that's right. Okay. I feel like we're on an episode uh, of Drunk History here. C is not true. Female uh, lions. No, are those, no, those, are the those lions don't have manes. Yes. So C is not true because while the Sabo lions do not have manes, they were not female. They were just they were given manes for the sake of male lions are generally lazy and they don't do the hunting. Yeah, I know. Well, well, is, I can I can tell it's going to come up, Branson. I can tell you why these lions might have been man eaters. Uh, it will not hang on to it because I will probably say that for the end. So starting off light, we're going to go with a little movie called Schindler's List. ABC, what did they change to make it more believable? A, Oscar Schindler did actually see a little girl in a dress, but the color of the dress was blue rather than red. Spielberg opted to change it to red because of its association with blood. B, Ray finds loathsome character Amon Goeth, the guy who shot people from his bedroom window, actually had to be toned down because historically Goeth was so vile that even the Nazis fired him for mistreatment of prisoners. Or C, Oscar Schindler ran a clothing factory rather than a munitions factory. The change was made to explain that it was easier to explain how faulty munitions were more detrimental to the war effect than faulty uniforms. 
I'd say B. A. The correct answer was, in fact, B. Damn. Never bet against the atrocity of Nazis. They are the yeah. worst of people. In fact, the actual historical reign uh, Amon Goeth was so bad, so bad that the Nazis did, in fact, fire him from his treatment of prisoners. And he's now Trump's secretary of the interior. It is really weird. Uh, you thought that would be done, but it doesn't. Moving on. A gladiator. Gladiator. Which of these was, in fact, what they changed from the reality? Is it A, Emperor Commodus did actually fight in the Colosseum, but was famously successful and, in fact, considered himself a then-modern Hercules. They changed him to be a simpering character played by Phoenix to make him more hateable. Is it B, Marcus Aurelius was far from the the kindly figure he portrayed in the film and was considered a tyrant by the people of Rome, and they were pleased at his passing. The change was made to make him more lovable and to make the enmity between Commodus and Maxidus more personal. Or was it C, the historical Maximus Decimus Meridius was killed in the Gaul campaign and never actually became a gladiator? A. And to the thunderous wizard? Yeah, my guess was A. Yeah, that is that's actually correct. Yeah, uh, the Emperor Commodus did actually fight in the Colosseum. Was considered a modern day Hercules and did not die in the Colosseum, though he was the son of Marcus Aurelius. Uh, as a B follow up, Marcus Aurelius was considered one of the the good founder or one of the good Roman emperors, and uh, there was no historical Maximus Decimus Meridius. Oh, all right. Yeah, there you go. Last one. Apollo 13. What did they Tom change? Tom Hanks? It does involve Tom Hanks, but okay. was it A, the actual Apollo mission to have trouble was not, in fact, Apollo 13, but Apollo 14, and was simply changed to make it more ominous? Was it B, the dialogue and tone of the astronauts used on the actual mission was significantly more calm. And in fact, the worst of the language used in the log report was frappin. Or was it C, the famous line, Houston, we have a problem, was changed from the real line, Houston, we have a big frappin problem. It's B. It's B. It is, in fact, B. I, I've, uh, I've heard the transcripts, and those dudes are cooler than the other side of the pillow. Yeah, cold as ice. So it's I've, impressive. That, I mean, honestly, that's some of the most impressive testicular fortitude I've ever seen displayed by a human being in my life. These dudes are out in the vacuum of space, uncertain of their ability to return home, and they're just like, we got this. <clears throat> You know, calm and cool as a cucumber. It's impressive, folks. That's got to be on YouTube, right? You can watch that. So that ends the uh, reality is not real enough challenge. Congratulations to the Thunderous Wizard. Uh, you will receive at least a tooth of one of the lions that I pretended uh, I tried to kill at when I was a hunter in Africa in 1898. 
uh, or probably just a reasonable facsimile I made from thermoplastic. Can can we all agree that John Henry Patterson is the Frank Dukes of uh, <laughs> Irish <laughs> Irish engineers a, in Africa? Like that, that, this that's is all a deep made. Pull. He made this and, up. Uh, that's a deep pull. Um, let, let me get let me get to that real quick. Hey, I would just like to say that uh, you know this uh, this movie has some problems. And I've been poking fun at it and all of that. But to your point, Mr. Wizard, no, I think there's actually some historical backing to his claims. Well, certainly um, the lions were killed, but however yeah, he wrote it, it, and I'd have to read it, is embellished to hell, I'm sure. Well, here, here's the thing. So this speaks to the cave scene real quick. And this is what I'm going to get to, Captain Cash. So talking about reality here, and I'd like to also point out that right now reality is bad enough. Like, whew, whew. We could all use a break. You know, it's just brutal. But as far as this movie goes, the lions did not kill people and drag them back to a cave. By all contemporary reports, cross-checked against uh, uh, Val Kilmer's account of the events, they think there were approximately 28 to 31 people killed by the lions. Okay. Not 135, 28 to 31. Mostly the migrant workers that were brought there from India and some of the natives. What they think caused this, and this is up to debate, but they've done some uh, examination of the skulls of the two lions who were brought back. One had a damaged tooth, and they thought perhaps that made it difficult for it to hunt. But uh, Paddington claimed that he had damaged that with the butt of his rifle when they were fighting. Further examination had found that one of them actually had an abscess tooth, actually had a, an infection you know, in the root of the tooth and the gum line. So they think that also might have perpetuated the lion's habit of not wanting to hide, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, not want to hunt wild game and go for the easier human targets because there was a multitude of reasons why they would have been attracted there. One, the slave trade to that river, because it, it was a point of passage, there were bodies dumped there on a regular basis. So they may have learned to come trolling around the river for human flesh. They may have been conditioned to eat, uh, you know, kind of like bears to a trash can type deal. Two, uh, the Indian uh, coolies, as they were called, which were what's called the migrant workers, they also... Uh, would and because of malaria, they would have these sort of incomplete cream cremations for their dead. Mm. So they would barbecue people and leave them again around the area, and the lions would come up and and get a taste for human flesh. And there's also reports of sickness in the uh, wildlife in the area, some sort of like cattle wasting disease that was affecting like, the water buffalo and whatnot. So there might actually have been a short supply of food for the lions. All these things drew them to the human camp. So between the, the smattering of dead bodies, uh, the reduction in the uh, wildlife population due to this wasting disease, and the possible abscessed tooth on these lions making them like cranky and lazy, all points that, yeah, they, they might have actually decided to target humans for food at that point. So... That's not totally crazy, but it wasn't 130-something people. There was no cave of bones. It was 28 to 31 type 
folks. And yeah, it sounds like uh, they, they took care of the Lions relatively quickly and makes probably a better story than it was in, or better story than it was in reality. 28 to 30 humans. I'm just saying that railroad accidents cause at least 100 deaths a year. There's no reason to shut down the economy for that. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Get back to work, <laughs> plebes. I, the, the decision to trump up the numbers seems a little odd to me because even 31 is like, oh, man, 31 people in this camp killed. Uh, because the 100, there's not even 100 extras in the film. Uh, well, I, I I think you see the cave of bones. I think it's partially the malaria deaths. I think it's just he's I, I, to your point. I think he saw an opportunity to pump up the numbers and make it sound like these are much more ferocious beasts. Well, yes, this is also John Twi- Patterson saw that yeah. as a chance to go. Yeah. I killed a thing that killed 130 people. Yeah, because frankly, 28 to 31 sounds like enough to me. Still but- aggressive. <laughs> So, but 135, uh, that's going to sell some movies. That is according to his actual writings, the 135. Yeah, yeah and, and no, nobody seems to corroborate that. This movie yeah, is written by him. William Goldman, pod favorite, one of the great screenwriters of all time. And I kind of wonder how much of his original script was rewritten because uh, it yeah. does have some issues. And William Goldman's scripts generally do not have as many issues as this one does, for for sure. So that's kind of it for the ghost in the darkness. Any anything else we want to wrap up, or we're moving on to recommendations? You should watch this movie. It's dated for sure, but don't, don't watch this movie. Uncle Chumzilla says, "Don't don't pass." This is a pass from Uncle Chumzilla. Read the Wikipedia know. article and call it good. It's kind of fun, and the lion stuff is neat. It's a Have a couple drinks. Have a couple of drinks and watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. your old pour one out for for Tachaka and his weird. Hey, Tachaka survives. Not to not to spoilers it, but Tachaka doesn't narrate this thing, so of course he survives. You're gonna feel Ooh, a little betrayed that you don't get to see Michael Douglas just ripped limb from limb, but they yes. do get him, and that's enough in the end. I'll close on this. Pour one out for poor uh, uh, Tachaka's earlobes because. Those things are stretched way out. They're so dangly. So dangly. So dangly. All right, recommendations. Throwing it over to TW. What's your recommendation? Uh, What what are you watching? What's getting you excited? So I said I was reading Val Kilmer's memoir. It's called I'm Your Huckleberry. If you like to read and you enjoy reading, you should read it. Uh, It's a very fast read, and it gives you great insight into Val Kilmer, who... It's notoriously been difficult in Hollywood, but there's a funny story in it. Him and Marlon Brando were apparently friends, so I don't know how their interactions went on the island of Dr. Monroe, which is apparently not very friendly. It was quite testy. But Marlon Brando said to him, like, I never believe a story unless it's from a first account. So if somebody tells me something and they weren't there to witness it, I don't believe it. So yeah, you can read all these things about how difficult Val Kilmer was and how he was awful and people hated him and this, that, and the other, but read his book he's an incredibly intelligent and insightful guy and he is a classically trained actor and he has a very fond admiration for the arts and he's an original he's not like a typical hollywood movie star and perhaps that's why his career didn't go the route of you would think a leading man would go and he was in a lot of his eccentric roles and he had this sort of 
very short burst of flame where he was the biggest star on the planet and then it just unraveled. He's interesting, you know, he had throat cancer, same throat cancer that Michael Douglas, ironically enough, had. He uh, survived. He's a deeply religious guy. I'm finding the book very interesting. Mm. Uh, What's the book called? It's called I'm Your Huckleberry. I'm Your Huckleberry. He's a a very strong writer. He's written his whole life. Uh, he has his poems in there. It's, it's it's good. I haven't gotten to the part where he stars in Dr. Moreau yet. I don't even know if he'll talk about that. But he did talk about Batman. And he, funny enough, wrote like something I thought about Batman that was really sort of poignant. Is that like, you know, me being Batman doesn't really matter. The character of Batman is so much bigger than anybody that plays him. So I've never really looked at myself as Batman. And he also talked quite a bit about how the character of Batman is so much deeper than has ever really been portrayed on film. And films do the character sort of an injustice. So I don't know. Either that or watch Have you seen films. The Dark Knight? Yeah, but you know what? The Dark Knight really isn't all that insightful about Batman. It is insightful about the Joker. Yeah, That's fair. But you know? as so, Batman, yeah. Well, I think, I think the way he interacts with harvey dent and the joker i think it pulls him in three different directions at the end of the day he's a lovesick puppy aren't we all and aren't and we it's all? the joker's movie and the joker owns the movie and, and harley dent has a better i think emotional sort of breaking point than, than he does so i think that's part of the batman shtick though he's sort of pigeonholed himself it's, He's reactionary. That is it, fair. It, 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 and, he, and he has to live with that. Your recommendation, Chumzilla. What are you into right now? Oh, well, you know, I've made this recommendation before, but I'm going to cop out here because Captain Cash has done the same. Don't be a whip. Um, <laughs> no, I'm going to... Hey, Mr. Wizard, perhaps you can guess this one. I'm going to recommend my favorite, absolute favorite, without a doubt, Val Kilmer movie. Willow? Real that's genius. a close. That's oh, a close it really second. should have been Willow. Heat. It should have been Willow. Willow's Heat's good. Everything you about Comer is good. I don't think good my kids have ever seen Heat. Straight to DVD Comer. He, he Heat's good. So let's go Val Kilmer. I mean, okay, just for nostalgia purposes, number one, Top Gun because Iceman is smoking. Uh, number two for me would be Heat. Number three is probably where I'm going to go with my recommendation. Thunderheart. It's not. What's that? Thunderheart. No, the doors. It's not. It, no, it's not as good. It's not as good as uh, Top Gun. It's not as good as Heat. It's better than Willow. It's better than Willow, which is number four. I'll go with the number three Val Kilmer movie of all sight. time. No, um, it's an uncredited role. There's the big. Oh hand. yeah, yeah. Uh, Val Kilmer plays Elvis in Christian Slater's head. He plays the mentor because Elvis's estate wouldn't let him. Be titled Elvis. Oh, okay, yeah. So the yeah. fake Elvis in Christian Christian Slater's head in uh, True Romance, which is a fantastic movie. It's Quentin Tarantino, not done by Quentin Tarantino, and I would actually argue that it benefits because of that. As done by Tony Scott, who but as by Tony Scott, yeah, Ridley's brother. Val Kilmer, uh, rest dearly. in peace. Yeah, and he, yeah. he talks a lot about him in the book. Tony yeah, Scott. he he was the director of Top Gun as well, right? Yes. Yeah, he yeah. he really likes Tony Scott. Yeah, that it that is actually a really good movie. It's it's a little '90s. It's a little 
you know, in, in its own head. But you know what? It, I love it. Christian Slater, Patrice Arquette. Uh, you got uh, Val Kilmer, uncredited as the voice in his head. Gary Oldman, Tom Sizemore, Balky from Perfect Strangers. Uh, Bronson Pinchot. Br- yeah, Bronson Pinchot. Pin- Pinochet. Uh, you've got Brad Pitt shows up in there. Uh, who else is in that movie? Uh, uh, James Gandolfini. Gandolfini. Uh, Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it just, the, the movie's Michael nuts. Rappaport. The movie's, Michael Rappaport, yeah, is Brad Pitt's roommate. Yeah, that movie is excellent. Anybody that has not seen True Romance, go see True Romance. It's good. And it's Gary it's Oldman's every, best performance. He's It's Drexel the Pimp. Yeah. It's, yeah. Was this White Boy Day? How come nobody told me this is White Boy Day? Uh, it's, it's probably one of the best movies I've ever seen, um, from an entertainment standpoint. And it's, it's Quentin Tarantino without any of the bad Tarantino stuff. Without it being overly self-indulgent. Exactly. It's all the witty dialogue and, and the fast action and probably one of the most brutal fight scenes I've ever seen between James Gandolfini and Patricia Arquette. Is Alabama, Alabama, and James Gandolfini. That is a brutal, brutal fight scene. With and, no and, disrespect, with no yeah. disrespect to Drexel the right, the white boy. My recommendation this week is going to be Rick and Morty season four. It's back, baby. Fucking love that show. It's ridiculous and terrible, but wow. not as bad as the fans, frankly. All right, so uh, our recommendations are are in. I was also going to say the Sultan Sea, where Val Kilmer plays a, a speed freak. It's not great, but it's worth watching. Uh, we're going to tease the next pod, which uh, is going to be a special edition, because the guys from the Double Turn podcast, Real Ross Boss and, and uh, J-Man, are going to come on. We're going to do Lethal Weapon 4, for obvious reasons. It's the least successful uh, Lethal Weapon movie by the numbers. So we're going to do that one. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, then you guys are going to choose a couple, and then we've got a special month coming up that we'll tease out later. But special podcast with the dudes from The Double Turn. If you haven't checked it out, it's a pro wrestling podcast. It's great. I've guessed it on there a couple of times. I know I've mentioned it on the show. The Double Turn podcast. It's available across podcast hosting Take a look for it. Come back next week for what will undoubtedly be the Double Turn Hobson Box Office Flops crossover for Lethal Weapon 4. I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs>